Hi, I'm Philip Anthony Elbertelli, and this is The Week in Doubt, episode 214. A couple of quick corrections before we start, and this first one is really trivial. In the episode before last, I confused the South Park character, Mr. Garrison, with Mr. Mackey. Uh, yes, this is how neurotic I can get with the corrections. It's Mr. Mackey who says, okay. Well, at least this time, uh, it was only a pop culture mistake. I think otherwise, uh, that episode was pretty tight, if I uh, do say so myself. The second one has to do with one of last week's digressions. In case you missed it, I recorded a long, meandering episode in response to the recent presidential election, but somewhat characteristically, I ended up veering off onto a whole host of other topics. One of the things I discussed, strangely enough, was the neurotransmitter serotonin. I think it came up because I was joking about my therapist's reaction to the election, and then went on to explain a little why it is that I see a therapist, and how I take antidepressants for uh, chronic headaches. Well, I botched a couple of things uh, in that segment, for lack of a better word. At one point, I mistakenly referred to serotonin as a drug. Um, instead of a neurotransmitter. I'll cut myself some slack on that one. It was actually just a slip of the tongue. But where I really messed up was in my clumsy explanation of how drugs like antidepressants and MDMA manipulate serotonin. I believe I used the terms neuron and receptor as if they were interchangeable at times. And I should know better, uh, years ago, before I had gotten serious about going back to school for design, I had toyed around with the idea of becoming a biochemist, which sounds so weird to me now because despite my love and reverence for science, I just don't think I'm cut out to be a scientist myself. I think I lack the necessary discipline, and I think my brain's probably just wired more for the arts. But I did uh, take some science courses, including some sort of college-level biology course and uh, psychology, which I think was an elective. Before I start digressing again, I bring this up because I remember studying things like synapses and neurotransmitters at length in my psychology class. So even though it was a long time ago, like I said, I should know better. The basic gist of what I said was accurate. I just explained the mechanics in a sloppy way. SSRIs, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, do, as the name suggests, inhibit the reuptake of serotonin. But my characterization of the of the uh, chemical or the drug being trapped between receptors was wrong. Basically, you've probably all seen the illustrations at some point. You have the presynaptic and postsynaptic uh, neurons with a synaptic gap in between. An axon terminal of the uh, presynaptic neuron sends out chemical messengers or neurotransmitters, such as serotonin. These, almost like a key, fit into the receptors on one of the dendrites of the uh, postsynaptic neuron. One theory proposes that in some cases, serotonin in people who suffer from depression is reabsorbed too quickly. SSRIs keep serotonin from being reabsorbed, and it stays in the synaptic gap longer where it can activate a receptor multiple times. This mechanism does interfere with the efficacy of MDMA or ecstasy. Even though SSRIs and MDMA both work on serotonin, because the SSRI blocks the MDMA from being absorbed up into the presynaptic neuron where it can manipulate serotonin release, or something like that. 
Hopefully that explanation was a little bit more coherent or at least uh, more accurate. And I was so long-winded last time that I never got around to explaining why antidepressants are prescribed for chronic headaches. Not only does serotonin elevate mood, but it's thought it also has an effect on pain perception. I think a doctor once joked uh, when prescribing me antidepressants that your headaches might still be there, but you won't care as much or something along those lines. So I guess antidepressants don't really kill or prevent the pain. They just raise the pain threshold or alter your perception of pain. Either way, the end result is still less pain in a sense, or at least less awareness of pain, eh, which works for me good enough. But anyway, geez, on with the show. So uh, let's do some news stories. Uh, this first one's probably at least a couple of weeks old now. So a little stale, but nevertheless still worthy of discussion. So it seems that ultra-lovable Pope Francis, the vicar of Christ on earth, has decided to double down on his predecessor John Paul II's tough stance on female priests. And this is from a HuffPost article dated uh, November 1st. Pope Francis, female Catholic priests are never happening. Pope Francis said on Tuesday he believes the Roman Catholic Church's ban on women becoming priests is forever and will never be changed in some of his most definitive remarks on the issue. He was speaking aboard a plane taking him back to Rome from Sweden. In the freewheeling news conference with reporters that has become a tradition of his return flights from trips abroad, a Swedish female reporter noted that the head of the Lutheran Church who welcomed him in Sweden was a woman, and then asked if he thought the Catholic Church could allow women to be ordained as ministers in coming decades. And here's a quote from uh, Pope Francis. St. Pope John Paul II had the last clear word on this, and it stands. This stands, Francis said. Francis was referring to a 1994 document by Pope John Paul that closed the door on a female priesthood. The Vatican says this teaching is an infallible part of Catholic tradition. The reporter then pressed the Pope, asking, But forever? Forever? Never, never? Francis responded, If we read carefully the declaration by St. John Paul II, it is going in that direction. Francis has previously said that the door to women's ordination is closed, but proponents of a female priesthood are hoping that a future pope might overturn the decision, particularly because of the shortage of priests around the world. The Catholic Church teaches that women cannot be ordained priests because Jesus willingly chose only men as his apostles. Those calling for women priests say he was only following the norms of his time. In August, Francis set up a commission to study the role of women deacons in early Christianity, raising hopes among equality campaigners that women could one day have a greater say in the 1.2 billion member church. I want to stop to say I do think that at least is laudable that he set up that commission to study the role of women deacons in the early church. And not only because it shows that he had some level of concern or consideration for the desires of the members of his flock who wanted to see uh, women priests, but also just for the scholarly value of the research, I suppose. But anyway, I'll continue. Deacons like priests are ordained ministers and must be men. They cannot celebrate Mass, the Catholic Church's central rite. But they are allowed to preach and teach in the name of the Church, and to baptize and conduct wake and funeral services. The Church barred women from becoming deacons centuries ago. 
Scholars debate the precise role of women deacons in the early church. Some say they were ordained to minister only to other women, for instance in baptismal immersion rites. Others believe they were on par with male deacons. So I'm of two minds on this one. On the one hand, uh, it's your little red wagon, as my father would say. I'm an atheist, not a practicing Catholic, even though I had a Catholic upbringing. So I don't concern myself as really having any skin in the game. If your man-made belief system has some archaic rules about not allowing women to conduct mass or uh, to perform certain other priestly duties, then as cold as it might sound, you know, what's it to me? Uh, that's between the church and its adherents. I think it's all made up anyway. It's like kids playing dress up and arguing over who gets to wear which costume. On the other hand, there is something off-putting and sexist about the idea that someone can't conduct mass because they have the quote-unquote wrong genitalia. Okay, but anyway, so on to the next story. This one kind of speaks for itself. It's a clip of Michelle Bachman explaining to pseudo-historian David Barton how her prayer group changed the course of the presidential election. Not a lot I can say that you're probably not already thinking. Nevertheless, I thought it might at least prove entertaining. Here we go. Oh, and I should mention, for those of you who are listening to the audio-only version, that she has some visual aids. She has a nice, sciency looking graph <laughs> showing exactly where and, and when uh, her prayers started to change the course of the election. This is probably the key graphic of the entire night. This is when... Now, hang the on. This is New York Times. Yes. This is New York Times showing... When the night started, they predicted that Hillary had an 80% chance of winning right. and that Trump had a 20% chance of winning. That's so right. you move along. But then you look along the timeline and exactly, this is 8.30 p.m. Eastern time. We went on the air. That's when we went on Daystar. We went so on Daystar. Thank you, 7, Marcus Lamb, right there. At 7.30 at night, we went on the air, but we have a prayer room here. Yeah. We had people all across the United States joining with our prayer room here in Dallas in prayer. And look what happened. This was the moment when the whole race broke, when prayer began, the, the church came out. And then we see uh, a 30-point swing here, a 30-point swing here. And now we see the swing to 95% chance of winning Trump, 5% chance of winning Clinton. It's phenomenal. This graphic that was produced by the New York Times should tell believers and pastors the power of prayer, the power of action. And here it is, a graphic. The night isn't even over. The decision hasn't even been fully made yet about the presidency. And already we know that the glory goes to the God Almighty, the God of the universe, the sovereign Lord. He is the one who did this for us. He did because his people got on their knees and cried out to holy God and said, we can't go down this road anymore. Father, we ask you for your mercy. And this is the proof positive of what the Lord did. The Lord did this. Oh no, and there's that creepy right-wing watch uh, music. As much as I like them, there's something morbid uh, about that music. Maybe only the theme from MASH is more depressing.
So there it is. Like I said, not a lot more to say, but it does remind me of something Richard Dawkins said when he visited uh, Lourdes or uh, Lourdes, depending on the pronunciation, a famous pilgrimage site in southwestern France. He said something along the lines of, why is it that when people are supposedly miraculously healed, that it's always things that might have gotten better anyway? Uh, We never see the miraculous regeneration of a missing limb or something truly impressive or convincing like that. And I think there's a similar kind of wish thinking or suspension of disbelief here. There were only two candidates, well, barring the third party ones that didn't have a chance. So only two candidates that possibly could have won. And when things start to lean in the favor of the one you prefer, and it had to lean in the favor of one of the two unless there was some sort of stalemate, You see it as miraculous because you happen to be praying for it. I'm afraid I'm going to require better evidence than that. It's funny, all the children that have suffered and died because their parents chose prayer over medicine, and yet Michelle Bachman was able to turn the tide of an entire national election easy peasy. Uh, Something's rotten in Denmark, as they say. So here's another softball. It's an old clip of our president-elect Trump's VIP pick, Mike Pence, talking about uh, how evolution is just a theory. Yes, that old chestnut. Mr. Speaker, I've always been interested in origins. Even though my training is in the law and in history, it has uh, ever been an avocation of mine to contemplate and to study uh, the origins of man and of life here on Earth. And many theories of origins have been propounded throughout our nation's history. 1859, a sincere biologist returned from the Galapagos Islands and wrote a book entitled The Origins of Species, in which uh, he did then, Charles Darwin, offered a theory uh, of the origin of species, which we've come to know as evolution. Charles Darwin never thought of evolution as anything other than a theory. He hoped that someday it would be proven by the fossil record, but did not live to see that, nor have we. 1925, in the famous Scopes Monkey trial, this theory made its way through litigation into the classrooms of America, and we all have seen the consequence over the last 77 years. Evolution not taught as a sincere theory of biologists, but rather, Mr. Speaker, taught as fact. And lest anyone listening in would doubt that, we can all see in our mind's eye that grade room classroom we all grew up in with the linear depiction of evolution just above the chalkboard. There's the little monkey crawling on the grass. There's the Neanderthal with his knuckles dragging. And then there's Mel Gibson standing in all of his glory. It is what we have been taught that man proceeded and evolved along linear Lines, But now comes a new find by paleontologists in the newspapers all across America, a new study in Nature magazine. Six to seven million-year-old skull has been unearthed, the Torme skull, and it suggests that human evolution was actually, according to a new theory, human evolution was taking place, and I'm quoting now, all across Africa and on the Earth, and the Earth was once truly, and I quote, a planet of the apes on which nature was experimenting with many human-like creatures. Paleontologists are excited about this, Mr. Speaker, but no one's pointing out that the textbooks, I guess, will need to be changed because the old theory of evolution taught for 77 years in the classrooms of America as fact is suddenly replaced by 
a new theory, or I hasten to add, I'm sure will be told, a new fact. All right, so there you have it. And obviously, uh, the painfully embarrassing flaw in his thinking, perhaps even more embarrassing than my layman's attempt at a neuroscience lesson last week, is uh, his misunderstanding of how the word theory is used in scientific parlance. It's not used in the same casual way that the average man on the street uses it. I'll give you two definitions, one from Wikipedia, one from Live Science. Wikipedia basically says, A scientific theory is a well-substantiated explanation of some aspect of the natural world that is acquired through the scientific method and repeatedly tested and confirmed, preferably using a written, predefined protocol of observations and experiments. And here's what Live Science has to say, and uh, it's not so much a definition as an explanation of the process of becoming a scientific theory. Every scientific theory starts off as a hypothesis. A hypothesis is an idea that hasn't been proven yet. If enough evidence accumulates to support a hypothesis, it moves to the next step, known as a theory and the scientific method, and becomes accepted as a valid explanation of a phenomenon. So, you know, like the germ theory of disease, I don't see anyone debating that. And I think the other way in which he kind of showed his ignorance is when he smugly mocked the way that science sometimes can go through a revision process. Unlike religion, science deals with facts, and we do our best to form a picture with the puzzle pieces that we have available at the time. And once in a while, there'll be a discovery or a breakthrough that somewhat changes our understanding of things and may lead to some textbook revisions. Doesn't mean that we got the whole puzzle wrong, it just means a piece or two was in the wrong place. And he doesn't seem to like being an ape very much. I know a lot of people find this notion kind of repugnant, especially religious people. But sorry to break it to you, Governor, or uh, Mr. Vice President, but, you know, welcome to the family hominidae. You are an ape. The chimpanzee is our closest animal cousin. And the fossil record is littered with the bones of different hominids. And you can't just wish them away. But hopefully all this doesn't sound too political. I'm trying to get the show back on track here after all those Halloween specials and then that um, response to the election last week. But yeah, it's kind of scary. This guy's going to be our VP. And I think Ben Carson, who is a gifted neurosurgeon, but has some really backwards notions that are colored by his fundamentalist religious views, was almost given a place in Donald Trump's cabinet. But luckily, I believe that uh, Ben Carson turned down the offer. So maybe we dodged the bullet there, but we still got Pence. It's kind of funny. I do at least get to enjoy a little shot in Freud, knowing that Pence is this ultra-conservative Christian and, you know, he has to kind of stand in the back with his mouth shut as Trump talks about uh, how he doesn't have a problem with gay rights and so on. Uh, but anyway, with that being said, thanks for listening, guys. And you know the deal. You can like the Facebook page. And while I'm at it, um, a thanks to our good friend and listener, Russ Ray, for always liking and sharing uh, my post on the Weekend Out Facebook page. Any little thing like that that people can do to help spread the word about the show is greatly appreciated. You can also follow the show on Twitter. You can check out the YouTube channel while you're there. Please like, comment, and subscribe. 
Hopefully that will get us a little more notice too. You can subscribe to the show or leave me a review via iTunes. And if you do leave me a written review, please let me know so I can read it on the air. And if you want to help the show out monetarily, you can use the PayPal widget at the bottom of the Podbean page. There's all that alliteration. Or you can go to patreon.com slash doubt and help support the show for as little as 99 cents a month and quit anytime you want, I think. All right, uh, thanks once again, guys, and until next time. In the night, I am 